This morning we're start, starting out in John chapter 14, beginning in verse number 15. And what you'll notice in this verse is there's a conditional promise that Jesus gives us. A lot of times people skip this verse, but one of the things that it would give us a, a really good understanding about how God operates is when you begin to see God oftentimes conditions his promises or his blessings or the things that he may do in your life. For example, a nation such as ours or such as any other nation cannot expect to see revival if its people don't pray and humble themselves and repent. We, we cannot expect to see revival in the land if there's not revival in God's people first. Predicated in Second Chronicles 7.14, revival is predicated upon revival in the church. That the church gets broken and cries out and prays and gets humble and repents and, and turns back to God. And once, the, once God's people, once the church does that, then God will heal the land. But oftentimes we always wonder, why is the land so messed up? Why are the heathen so acting like heathen? Well, I think God would say, why is the church acting like that? When God's given us commissions and conditions in the, in the word of God in, in, in order to receive what he has for us. And I believe one of the saddest commentaries on the church world today is that we live in Pentecost, but half the church world don't act like it. Have the church world doesn't act like we live in this part of Pentecost. And so one of the things that we see here in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now that right, that verse right there will preach in many churches. That one, will, that one will, will blow out some cobwebs. When you hear Jesus say, if you love me, do what I say, keep my commandments. There's none of this. There's, there's none of this sloppy grace. There, there, there's none of this sloppy grace out there where it doesn't matter what you do, how you live, or any of that kind of stuff. He said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And if, and if you parallel this over in the book of 1 John, Jesus said, if somebody walks in darkness but says that they know God, they're a liar. The truth's not in them. If somebody says one thing but they're, they're living a different life, the truth isn't in them. And you see that God is exposing many in the church world today. God is exposing people that have an intellectual knowledge of God, but they don't know God. They haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to change them on the inside. They have a form of knowledge. They have a head knowledge. They have in between their ears, they can espouse the philosophical viewpoints of theology, and they can even lead people. But the Bible says that those blind people lead people into a ditch. And if somebody only has head knowledge, they can only talk about a God that they don't know about. And when it comes to knowing God, we will follow God wherever he leads. He may challenge you to, and lead you on a path that you don't like. For example, when the Lord says to love your enemies, that will oftentimes lead you on a path that you don't want to go because you'll begin to forgive others even though they don't rightly deserve it. You'll begin to love people even though they hope that you get destroyed. You'll begin to, you'll begin to have compassion on people that don't care one iota about you because you're allowing God to minister through you. You see, oftentimes, you, you need to remember this, God will never ask you to do something that he doesn't do. When he tells you to love your enemies and you think about people that hate you and you don't want to love them, always remember God loved you when you were an enemy to God. What you mean I was an enemy to God? You was an enemy to God when you were lost and in your sin. If you weren't an enemy to God, Jesus would not have had to go to Calvary. Amen? But because you were his enemy, he didn't just snuff you out. He willingly allowed himself to be crucified to let all his blood flow down Calvary's hill so that he would give you an opportunity to receive the purchase price to atone for your soul. And we see here this condition. He says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know that many people say that they love God. Many people say that they love Jesus. But not many people keep 
his commandments. Now, when we come to these commandments, I want to share this one with you right here. Verse 16, it says, this is one of the, uh, another one of these things. He said, and I will, this is for those that love him and those that keep his commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. So he was telling the, the, the disciples that he's going to go back to the Father, and the Father's going to send the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost that has been with them will soon be in them. This is the story of Pentecost. And in case you're not familiar, the, the, the book of Acts begins with Pentecost, and we're still in the church age. The Holy Ghost still indwells and fills believers that love God and obey His commandments and pray. God still brings the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives. It says here that He would give you a, another comforter. The, the word comforter there is, is, is like a teacher, someone who will hang with you through whatever comes. Someone who will guide you and give you an understanding and wisdom and give you what you need in the moment. And this is so important for you to hear this. It says that he's a comforter. It doesn't say that he'll make you comfortable. One of the things that we miss in the church world today is that God never said he would make you comfortable. He said that he would give you a comforter. Comfortable Christianity will make you complacent in your faith. Comfortable Christianity will get you to where you will never, ever put your life or your voice on the line for Jesus. When Jesus has called you to count the cost, to pick up your cross and come after him, comfortable Christianity can't do that. Comfortable Christianity is complacent in that. But he says that he will send the comforter, not make you comfortable. So a lot of times what we see in, in, in our world today is that people do anything and everything they can do to live a comfortable life, including including gathering up or, or heaping up with their itching ears false teachers that tell them what they want to hear. Please tell me how good I am and how this is my day. This is not your day. This is God's day. This is the day that he made. We're going to rejoice in it. Amen. We're going to be glad in it and rejoice in it. It's his day. We're the sheep of his pasture. Amen. He is the one that we glorify, that we worship, that we adore. Comfortable Christianity will cause you to get complacent in many areas of your life. In fact, it will cause you to get into a place where when things are uncomfortable, you'll begin to doubt God. I want you to think back. He said that he will give you another comforter, another comfortable. Ask yourself if the disciples lived comfortably with Jesus. Or did they actually have to sleep out in the wild? Did they actually have to lay down their head without a pillow? Did they actually have to live every moment on dependence that God would provide for their needs? Did they actually have to go through the fiery furnace into the den of lions? Did they actually have to go into the belly of the whale? Did God's people actually have to face the giants and face the, the thousands of the enemies? Did God's people always live comfortably? No, but the comforter was always with them, guiding them, speaking into their life, creating in them a confidence in a God that is bigger than the mountain in front of them. God said, you may have to go through that fire, but you're not going to go through it alone. You may have to go through that storm, but God won't desert you. He will go with you through that thing. You may suffer loss. You may suffer affliction. People may turn their back on you. You're not better than Jesus. They turn their back on him. 
People may neglect you, forget you, or despise you, but God will abide within. The Comforter will will speak into your life, and he will tell you those things that you need in that moment. He will remind you. He will remind you in those moments that all hope seems lost, that, that our hope is not in the things of this life. He will remind you in moments where it seems like your world is turned upside down that God still runs this place. That this world still fits in the palm of his hand. That this world still belongs to the one that made it. In one moment of time, one word from the king is all it takes to change our lives forever. The comforter will remind us The Comforter will remind us that God is still working in our lives. Did you know that? What is the Comforter's job? To keep the thermostat at 72? That's comfortable Christianity. Don't rock the boat. But the Comforter is actually in the boat while it's rocking, reminding you God is the master of the sea. This is the difference in, in a lot of what is being taught today and a lot of what uh, people are getting themselves wrapped into is a comfortable Christianity. But if we want the full counsel of God, you want the full counsel of God? Or do you want the partial counsel of God? The full counsel of God will lead you and teach you to be obedient to God and the comforter will guide you. The comforter will guide you. Now, one of the things that is not very comfortable, if you'll, if you'll turn with me to, to the book of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. I don't know anybody that ever looked at the Beatitudes realistically. Anybody ever said, that's easy. I don't know of any person that ever looked at the Beatitudes and said, oh yeah, I've, I've been doing that all my life. That's no problem. I got that. I got that. Well, when it comes to the Beatitudes, one of the things that you'll see is that God will, will challenge people and get you to where you, your strength doesn't rest in yourself. Your strength has to come from God. As you see in the very beginning of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, and this, this you know, is from the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7. I don't know if the Lord took a breath. He just let it rip. He began to preach, and he preached chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and, and, and by the time it was done, everybody was blown away. Very first verse, very first verse, look at this, in verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus said this, what it says in verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit is what we're looking at right now. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit, it it, it means that you're not finding strength in yourself. You're running to the Lord for help in your spirit. To be poor in spirit, we're not talking about what's in your bank account. We're talking about what's in your soul. To be poor in spirit means that you've emptied yourself of self and you've come to God. To be poor in spirit means that you're telling God, I'm not coming here with my own agenda. I'm not coming here with, with my own plans. I'm coming here for you. And when we begin to get poor in spirit, one of the things that will often happen is we'll begin to get broken. We'll begin to cry will begin to feel godly sorrow. You know, Paul taught that godly sorrow leads to something. You know what he taught godly sorrow leads to? Repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And whenever we begin to see that to be poor in spirit means that that we, we connect with God in a way in which God sees things. We begin to see and understand the total ineptitude of man and the total need for God and his glory and his power to be at work in our lives. It begins to help us to understand our utter need of God and his help in our lives. To be poor in spirit means to say, God, I can't do this. 
I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the perseverance. I don't have what it takes to get through this. I need you. I need you. I I believe this very first beatitude is one of the most important conditions that God looks for in a person. You're going to see this as we go through this. One of the most important conditions that God sees in a person is our utter dependence on him. When, when we see in America, the, one of the great stories is the comeback, the, the, the fight, the person that, that, you know, hangs on, the little engine that could. We always root for the underdog because the underdog never gives up and finally perseveres. But when it comes to God, it's completely different. When it comes to the things of God, we will never receive all the fullness that God has for us until we first get empty. See, God, God doesn't fill half-full vessels. Jesus talked about that in the book of Luke. He said, he said that you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Because if you do, it'll burst open. You, you have to put the new wine in the new wineskin. And so a lot of times we want God's new wine, but we're not giving Him a new wineskin. We've got the same old heart with the same old habits and the same old desires and the same old self, but God's not going to pour the Holy Spirit on flesh. He's not going to pour it on the old wine. He's not going to pour it on the old heart. He's got to have that new wineskin, that new heart. He's got to have that complete obedience to himself. And when he has that in your life, he will. But oftentimes we see in in Christianity today, I I talk about it all the time, a lot of church services is smoke and mirrors. It's it's a smoke screen. It's it's a stage production. It is is a, a, you know, it is, all about the image it's all about the image god doesn't really care for that too much god's looking for us to get empty of self he's looking for us to come to a place where we get poor in spirit meaning lord i don't have to be the one in front i don't have to be the one everybody looks like you don't have to do things my way god you 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 don't have to do things the way i want them done I'm just coming to you, and I'm telling you, you're right, and I want you. Broken and poor in spirit means somebody who is resisting the flesh, resisting self. Coming into that place where Jesus said that you would take up your cross. What does it mean to you when Jesus told you to take up your cross and to come after him? Does it mean to you that you should just go to church on Sunday? Or does it mean that you actually crucified the desires of your flesh? That you actually let go of the things that you desire in a worldly, materialistic manner? In order for us, and I want you to see this, before life flows, self must be crucified. Self must be crucified. Well, Brother Kenny, are you saying that we can't have our hair styled and we can't wear skinny jeans? I'm just saying if self is crucified, you won't worry about that. If self is crucified, you won't worry about looks, you won't worry about sounds, you'll worry about if God is pleased. When, the, when, when flesh has been crucified, our desires, our agenda, our thoughts go past self. Go past our own image and go past what others may think about us. And they run to God. In order for us to be who God wants us to be, we have to be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. God is not pleased with comfortable Christianity. God is not pleased with comfortable Christianity. He's pleased with a Christianity that abides with the comforter. There's a huge and a vast difference, and and one of the things that you will see as we go through this message is that we actually hinder the work of the Spirit in our own lives when we don't allow ourselves to get into this broken and contrite place.
We actually are exempting ourselves from the blessing and the reward of the Holy Spirit's fullness in our lives so long as we stay full of self. Think about the, the, the new wineskin and the old wineskin. So many people have emptied out, but they still have a little bit of that old wine in there. And they, and they wonder why they're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit like others. Why God doesn't, why God doesn't do this and why God doesn't do that and why am I struggling? Why am I? Because you're, you're running on old fuel. You, you try to start up a lawnmower that's got gas in it from two years ago. It don't want to start and you can't blame it. You, you try to start a lawnmower with gas from two years ago. It, boom, 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 boom. Is, is there not a, a more descriptive thing of Christianity today? Boom, 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 boom. We've got the smoke, we've got the muffler going, but we're running on two-year-old gas and it just won't crank. Lord, where's the power? And God says, where's the brokenness? God's not going to put the power on old gasoline. He's not going to bless until we come to this place where we get poor in spirit. It says that the blessed are the poor in spirit, meaning happy. This is another way of saying happy. The first step to finding blessing in the kingdom of God is getting broken. This doesn't make sense to the natural mind. It doesn't make sense to comfortable Christianity that's being expressed in our nation today. But until we get to the place where we allow God to take us down that road, of Calvary and let go of self will never experience the fullness that God has for us. You know, it is in brokenness that God brings healing. And until we allow ourselves to do that, we'll never see it. Oh, Leonard Ravenhill, he said, we need to see ourselves. We need to see ourselves that it, it, it was Jesus going to the cross, but we must see that it was on that cross. We're called to die as well. We're called to die to self as well. Amen? Let me show you something in Romans 6 real quick. Romans 6, in verse number 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See, they had even back then they had these liars in the church. It would say it didn't matter how you lived. And actually, they would say, in fact, all your past, present, and future sins are done for. So the more you sin, the more grace God gives you. So the, the, it's better for you to just live how you want to live and don't worry about those old fuddy-duddies, those old fuddy-duddies that try to teach you to live a life of holiness, a life that pleases God, because the more you get, the more you get into the world, the more grace God has to put on you. What a lie. What a lie. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're dead to sin, when was the last time you heard that preached? Are you dead to sin? When was the last time you heard that? Because oftentimes everybody says, well, I know that you're going to have your issues. No, you're supposed to be dead to sin. You see sin springing up. You see the little root system beginning to grow. Pluck it out. Take it to the cross. Plead the blood over that thing. Contend over that thing. Fight in the Holy Ghost over that thing. It's not supposed to be there. Being dead to sin means it's not in your own ability and strength that you get rid of sin. Come on. Let's not confuse what the gospel is. Jesus is the sin bearer. He bore our iniquities, our griefs, our sins. We take our sin to the cross. That's where we receive that blood atonement over our lives and the power and the stronghold that sin once held over us is removed in Jesus' name. It's broken at the cross. The book of Colossians says it was nailed to his cross. The, the handwriting of ordinances against us was nailed to his cross to the glory of God. To the glory of God. But it says that we're not to live therein. Do you know, most people don't even know that that's in the Bible. 
How are we that are dead to sin supposed to live in it? You know the Bible tells us in Hebrews that without holiness no man will see the Lord. And yet, this is one of those verses where people will say, well, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. When somebody begins to go down that road with you, what they're trying to get you to do is compromise. You can compromise if you want to, but I'm not going to. Compromise is not of God. Compromise will get you to say yes to things that you know God says no to. Compromise will get you to to endorse something that you know God is against. Compromise will get you to hold hands with, with, with the world. It says that how... That we are dead to sin, how shall we live any longer therein? Look at verse 3 and 4. Know you not, as so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Were you baptized into a death? When you got baptized, did you let go of something? Or did you just have a, a, a liturgy read over you? Because you can have that. And not have the newness of life. I want you to see something. Before newness of life comes, there has to be a baptism of death. There has to be a letting go of self. There has to be a burying of self at the cross. You can't bury yourself through philosophy. You can't bury yourself through reading books or tying your hand behind your back. God did not come to make you a better person. If that was true, somebody would have just tied your hands behind your back. Then you wouldn't steal anymore. You'd be better than you were. But God didn't come just to do that. He came to make you whole. He came to remove your sin and to give you new life, that you would be born again. That the change wouldn't just be that you can't reach the cookie jar anymore, but that you have a new heart and you don't want to reach the cookie jar anymore. That's the difference. If it's just about not putting hands in cookie jar, you can put it higher, you can tie people's hands behind their back, but God wants it to be to where you don't want that. And that only happens in a new life, a new life. Look what happens in verse 4. It says, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. This is one of the keys that you have to get. Before life comes, there has to be death. Before life comes, there has to be death. God God is not trying to make a new you. He's trying to give you new life. See, most of the time, we just want to have our own selves modified. We want to get our own selves beautified, modified, renovated. But God wants to have us die to self so that new life can finally come. And one of the things that we see in in contemporary Christianity, comfortable Christianity, is, is we see stage lights. We see the 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 lights, the sound, the thunder but it's all manufactured. God wants to give you all of that in your soul. See, if, if, if God is who he is, and the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does, you don't need the outward manifestations to get you to a place where you experience God. You will have God everywhere you go, and no matter what's going on in your life. But it has to come after death after death and and no it's not just a one-time thing it's not just a one-time thing john chapter 15 says that if you abide in him and he in you you will bear fruit right right john 15 but do you know that he also said that if you bear fruit the father's going to come and do something to you you know what the father's going to come and do to you prune you that you'll bear more fruit See, without the dying, if, and if you think about a fruit tree, unless branches are cut off, new branches aren't going to grow in. And God's always worked that way. In order for a new life to come, death has to happen. That's how God operates. 
If you're unwilling to be pruned, you're never going to grow. You'll never receive the fullness and you'll never grow into what God wants you to be until you're willing to die to self and willing to be pruned by the hand of God that he may make something beautiful in your life. Now, it is in this, this vein of thought that I want to, I want to take you over to Psalm 51. This, this vein of thought, I want to take you over to Psalm 51. This is the, the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51. Now, this is after David had sinned with Bathsheba, and he needed God's work in his life. And I believe that the church in many ways is in this area. Instead of going out and, and, and fighting in the spirit, instead of going out and contending for the lost, instead of going out and, and, and fasting and praying that the lost would be saved and that the, the, the broken would be healed and that the, those that are bound by sin would be delivered. Instead of going out into the highways and the byways, compelling the lost to come into the Father's house, instead of doing that, by and large, our main goal has been to build a beautiful building so that we can have a nice coffee shop and that we can have a banquet and that we can play tennis and that we can you know, shoot some hoops. Bathsheba represents the life of sin, having what you want, when you want it, how you want it. And it doesn't belong to you. And once David sinned, he realized it, and he began to pray, and he began to cry out. And I believe once the church begins to pray and cry out, we'll begin to see God move in, in the church in America. I, I, I do not say that the worldwide church is in this place. But I do say the church in America, by and large, is in a place where we've tried to have Bathsheba and God at the same time. Bathsheba representing the things of the world. But David cried out in in verse number 10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. That's the, the Holy Spirit. The create in me a clean heart is the desire to be made new. The desire, David is saying, is I don't want to be like I am right now anymore. I need you to change me, God. I need you to change me. Once you begin to go down that road of desiring God to change you, you become a candidate for God to minister to. I told you earlier that there first has to be, there first has to, we have to come to that point where we let go of self in order to receive life. Romans chapter 6 taught us that. Look what David says in verse 15. Verse 15, he says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. When was the last time somebody that had been caught in sin, somebody that had wrecked their life and other people's lives and caused destruction, when was the last time they began to praise God? When they repented. When they repented and they died to self. And God restored to them. God created in them a new heart. And he said, he said, if you open my mouth, I will begin to worship. Some, in other words, if you do this, God, if you change me, if you restore me, if you give me a new heart, I know that you'll open my mouth. And when you do, something's going to come out of my mouth. In order for this new praise and this new song and this new worship to come out god had to first make something new see if if you try to worship through sin it won't work you can't smile through sin you look like the cat with the mouse tail in your mouth you can't smile through sin you, 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 you have to go through this place that David went through where he said, Lord, I need a change. 
Create in me something new. I have to die to self. I have to be made new by the Spirit of God. And if you do that, if you do that, Lord, if you open my mouth, if you open my mouth, praise will come out. Praise will come out. Have you ever been around something that once you opened it, you couldn't shut it off? You might think your pastor's like that. Sometimes chatterboxes are like that. You ever get in a conversation with somebody that never stops? You can even get around things in life. You can get around, you know, um, get around a pipe that has pressure on it. You open it up a little bit and it's just coming out. But you know, that's how God is with us. God's not looking for us to bring old treasures that are two years old. He's looking that we're made new today, that we're walking in newness of life today. And when we open that mouth, when he begins to come upon us and the spirit moves upon us, praises are going to come forth. Praises are going to come forth out of that. Watch, watch what happens. There's a, there is a, 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 a process this goes in. In verse 16, four. Now he said, open my mouth, God, open my mouth and my mouth shall show forth thy praise forth, meaning you're going to do this first. This is going to happen first, and then the praises are going to come out. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. In other words, God despises anything less than a broken and contrite spirit. You see the last part? In other words, if it's not broken and contrite in its offering to God, God is not pleased in it. God doesn't delight in that. God's not impressed by it. In fact, he'll begin to despise it. When we begin to go to God with theological words that are void of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, when we begin to go to God, and we, you may lavish the latest, greatest worship song on God, but your heart be a million miles from God. God's not impressed by the sound of the music. He's not impressed by the words of the song. He's impressed by a contrite and broken spirit. This is why, you know, I, I love the fact that God doesn't require us to sing on key because that means I can be a worshiper. But do you realize that God's not looking for the tempo? He's not looking for the pitch. He's not even looking for the sound of the musicians. He's not looking for the atmosphere of the platform. He's not looking for that our words. I, I think that sometimes they make these new songs. They get a thesaurus of theological terms. And they just find ones that rhyme. And they throw them together in a song. And they put a, a beat from a, a a song on it and they believe that this is worship but God is not worshiped until we become broken and contrite in spirit until we begin to see we need him until we begin to see we can't rely on our own flesh we can't rely on our own strength we can't rely on ourselves we need God and we realize that he is God and we come to him in a broken and contrite way we'll begin to see watch we'll begin to see something happen David said when he brings this kind of a heart and spirit to God God would open his mouth and praises would come forth. You see, in other words, you can't expect God to put a new song in you until you give God, until you give God a broken and contrite spirit. It, the same thing. You can't expect new wine to flow until you give God that new wineskin to pour it in. Now, is the new wineskin a work of God? Yes. 
But God, make no mistake about it, will not put the new wine of the Holy Spirit in an old wineskin. He's not looking for that. He's looking for those that are made new, that have died to self and have been made new by the Holy Spirit. Those are the ones that will come to God broken and contrite, and he will not withhold his Holy Spirit from you, but he'll begin to pour out fresh Holy Spirit upon you. He'll begin to renew you and refresh you by the power of the Holy Ghost. This only happens when we bring him a broken and contrite spirit. Well, nobody likes to be broken. Nobody wants to get broke. Today, the church world is looking to get woke. But God only works when we get broken. God will wait us out. If we don't want to get broken, we don't want the power of God on our lives. There, 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 we have to come to a place as the church where we begin to realize and understand this world, this generation needs a move of God. And I believe God's going to move in this generation with or without me or you. I don't believe that God's dependent on me or you. He's going to get a witness in this generation. He's going to raise up a people to do great exploits in the world today. I believe God's going to send the latter rain. The latter rain's going to come out and pour down upon the children of God and they're going to rise up and face the giant and they're going to go out into the darkness and bring light. They're going to go out to the lost and bring healing. They're going to go and do the great exploits and works of God with or without us. And God's not going to pour the latter rain on a church that's not broken. One of the one of the churches in, 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 in the book of Revelation, Jesus told them, he said, you, you think you have all these things. You think that you have all these things, but you're poor. He said, you, you, you have everything, but you have nothing. And that is the church today. We have everything. But we have nothing. We can pop popcorn and watch movies and bring people in the doors. But that doesn't mean that people are being changed. There's no change that's going to happen until death happens. God won't be mocked. He won't put new wine in old wineskins. He will not fill up a vessel that's full of self. He will not begin to to bring life until first there has been death we must see god's looking for us to die to self why because god's sadistic no because god wants to pour upon you the holy spirit to enable you why to be a better you no so that you can leap tall buildings no so that you can have a smile from ear to ear? No. Why does God give you the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit can work through you. So that river will begin to flow through you, through your church, through your home, through your family, begin to minister to other people, that God so change you, so fill you, that you would be like Philip. God told Philip, he said, go this way, and Philip began to go that way, and he ran upon that Ethiopian eunuch who, you know... Tradition, it, you're not supposed to go around and you're not supposed to do this. And he ran up. He ran up to that chariot. He was running beside it. You might think, whenever I'm doing something for God, why is it always hard? God never made you catch up with a chariot by foot. He ran and he caught the chariot. And you know what? He didn't get an attaboy. He didn't get a pat on the back. He ran beside that chariot and he said, what are you reading? Let me show you. Let me show you. He didn't try to make the Ethiopian's eunuch foot longer. He didn't say, you got a headache? Let me take that headache away. He said, who are you trying to understand? And the guy said, I'm trying to decide who this is written about. And he said, that's Jesus. 
And he began to preach Jesus to him out of the Bible that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading. And you know what? That guy got saved and filled with the Spirit right there. He said, what's stopping me from getting baptized? What's stopping me? And you see, whenever you come to God and you say, Lord, here I am. Take all of me. Nothing stops you from receiving the fullness of God. But until we've been emptied in that way, until we come to that place where we say, what's stopping me? If there's anything in my life, you understand that was a prayer that eunuch prayed. What's stopping me from getting baptized? What is holding me back? What am I holding on to? Is there hidden sin in my life? Is there unconfessed sin in my life? Is, is, is there something in me that desires to be seen of men or, or to be a man pleaser? Is there anything in me that is not of God? What's stopping me? That's a prayer. That we must pray. What's stopping me? And whatever it is, are you willing to let it go? Whatever it is, are you willing to let it go? What if God told you to stop watching your favorite TV show? Well, Brother Kenny, what do you mean? A TV show can stop me from receiving the fullness of God. Yeah, it can. It can. It can get you to thinking thoughts that you don't need to think and set you back in your walk with God and begin to get you to stay in a complacent place with God. God is looking for people that will follow him. Well, that's too easy. That's too easy, Brother Kenny. I mean, just a TV show, you're getting kind of like the holiness preachers. Maybe. But follow me. When Naaman had the leprosy. He was told to go dip in the water. Do you remember that? And at first, he said no. He said, this is foolish. And he had an awesome servant. That awesome servant said, the reason you're saying no is because you think that's too easy. You think that's too easy. If it had been something hard, you would have done it. But what was God looking for? God was just looking to see if Naaman would obey him. That's it. Will you just obey me? That's what God was looking for. Name it. Will you just obey me? Go dip in the water seven times and watch. Your leprosy will be gone. No, no, no. I'm supposed to pay you $1,000, and I'm supposed to buy your DVD set and go to your conference, and I'm supposed to receive that, you know, that impartation, and I'm supposed to get that second and third and fourth anointing that comes from that prophetic worship conference and all this. That's not how God operates. He's looking for you to be willing vessel and obey him. And the moment Naaman said yes to God, he began to go down to that water, his healing was coming. And that was it. It was just that easy thing. And you might say, well, why are you telling me that I need to stop watching this TV show or why should I do this? It may not be a TV show. It may be a, a, an ungodly friendship in your life. It may, be some, you know, it may be a place you go on the weekends or something. I don't know. But God knows. But there's those areas, those pockets of resistance in our lives that we have that we must be willing to let go of if the Holy Spirit says let go of that. There's those pockets of resistance. And, and one of the things is, just to tie this back to where we began, comfortable Christianity allows the pockets of resistance. Comfortable Christianity prohibits the power of God. If comfortable Christianity allows complacency and allows you to have pockets of resistance, you're resisting the hand of God. You're resisting the power of God. What we're actually doing is saying, I'm fine with coming close to the mountain of God. I'm fine being around the people of God. I'm fine being close to the new wine, but I don't actually need it myself. Because until we're willing to let go, we'll never receive the fullness of God. Until we're willing to let go, we'll never receive the fullness of God. To turn with me to, to John chapter 7 as we close. This, John chapter 7, Jesus is going to teach us something about the Holy Spirit. 
in verse 37 of John 7, and one of the ways that you know what the Lord's talking about, he reiterates this over in the book of Acts. In John 7, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let's run that back for a second. He didn't say, If my elect. He didn't say, If my goody two shoes. He didn't say, If my appointed, anointed ministers. He didn't say, If my giants of the faith. He said, If any man. And, and, and woman came out of man, so there you go. Right? If any man thirst. Ask yourself what the, what the church is thirsty for today. Honestly. What are we thirsty for? He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. And drink. And drink. There's two things I want you to see there. You have to be thirsty. You have to be thirsty. That is that is poor in spirit. That's to be poor in spirit. That's to say, God, I need you. I can't survive without you. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I always mess things up. I always muddy the water. Myself must die that Christ live in me, like Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ live in me. It is that willingness to die that we may be thirsty for God. And he said, and come to me. That is understanding that the only thing that we need is Jesus. You don't need Jesus plus. You need Jesus. The church needs Jesus. We don't need Jesus plus nothing. We need Jesus. We need Christ and Christ alone. He alone is the Savior. He alone is our hope. He alone is the resurrection and the life. He alone is the Alpha and the Omega. He alone is the author and finisher of our faith. He alone is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world, who taketh away the sin of the world. He alone is the one that went to Calvary, and He alone is the one that atoned for our sin. He alone is the one that rose up on the third day. He alone is the one that is seated at the right hand of the Father. He alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He alone has been given the name above every name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. He alone is the one that we come to. It is Christ and Christ alone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father except through him. You can't make a shortcut through Buddha or Muhammad or meditating or impartating or Christ consciousness or wokeness or any other means. It has to be through faith in the blood and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if any man come to me and drink. So it's one thing to be poor in spirit, to be broken in spirit, but the other thing is knowing to throw yourself to Him. Think about when you're thirsty and you drink. Do you sip it? I don't know anybody that is thirsty, truly parched, truly thirsty. I'm not talking about just a little bit, like I need something with my dinner. I'm talking about I need some water, like a camel needs water. There's no sipping involved, and when 
think about this spiritually, there's no sipping Jesus. There's no flirting with Jesus. It is an emptying of self and a thrusting of self onto Him. Coming to Him and letting go and receiving life. Come to me, He said, and drink. If any man thirsts, any man, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He's not looking just for you to have a head knowledge about where to go when you're thirsty. Did you know that you can even go to church and hear where to go when you're thirsty? But only God knows if you're drinking. Only God knows if you're, if you're truly receiving Him. If He's truly being that which quenches your thirst. Now, Jesus finishes this. It doesn't stop right there. A lot, of, a lot of times people stop right there. If you're thirsty, come drink. But he clarifies it. He said in verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is what David wrote about. He didn't even know it yet. David said, it's not a burnt offering or a sacrifice that you want, Lord. It is a broken and a contrite spirit. And if you open my mouth, what did he say would come out? Praises would come out. Praises will come out. In other words, the river, the rivers of living water will begin to flow through that mouth. That mouth that believes on Jesus. That mouth that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ that comes into him and drinks. Listen, out of that belly, out of the, the innermost part of your being, He's not talking about your physical belly. He's talking about the innermost part of who you are when you truly, truly come to Jesus and drink spiritually. He's saying, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, you cannot, you cannot come to Jesus and drink until you're first made thirsty. The thirsty part is being poor in spirit, dying to self. Why is it that the church world is so weak? Because we're not thirsty. We're not willing to die to self. We're not willing to get broken and contrite in spirit. And we'll never come to Jesus and drink until we first get broken and contrite. We wonder why half the church world doesn't even, doesn't even believe in Pentecost, much less walk in it. Because Pentecost only comes to those who have been broken and contrite. He told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Terry. Do you know that they weren't playing Monopoly in the upper room? Tarrying means pouring out your soul to God. The, you tarry at an altar doesn't mean you sit there and play thumb war with your neighbor. Tarrying before the Lord is a spiritual endeavor. Tarrying before the Lord means ever presenting your heart to God. And then another fleshly thought runs in, and you, you, you take that one captive to the obedience of Christ too. And then another one comes in and you take that one captive to the obedience of Christ. And you keep tarrying before the Lord at that altar on your knees, seeking God. And God on that heart will pour out the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, the Holy Spirit wasn't coming down till Jesus went up. 
But once Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down. And the Holy Spirit is still at work today until he that led it will let. Until he be taken out of the way. Then the Antichrist will be revealed. But the Holy Spirit is still working because he's still hindering the work of the devil. We wonder why the enemy is so rampant in our churches and in our nation because the river of the Holy Spirit's not flowing. He that let it will let. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the church. That's the work of God. And we've, we've taken God out of the equation. We're not thirsty anymore. We don't need God anymore. Half the church world don't believe in Pentecost anymore. But it is that Pentecost river that'll keep you clean. It'll keep you filled. It'll keep you strong. That Pentecost river, that river of life that he said he would give Look, not to the mighty and the noble, not to the anointed and the appointed, but to whoever comes and is thirsty and drinks. That's it. That's the condition. If you'll get thirsty enough and you'll come to the right source, God will give you the river of the Holy Spirit. He said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. This is why most of the time people talk about anything and everything but God. Because they got a corrupt source flowing out of their belly. People talk about how, how you know, the ball game was and how this was and how that was. But living water, listen, let me just tell you this. Living water, living water will touch people's lives. You can't get around God and be the same. A, 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 any person, even wicked people, when they get around God, they're never the same. They're either going to get broken or they're going to get hard-hearted. But anytime God is around, there's things that happen. And when, when you get around other people and the river of living water is flowing out of your belly, sometimes people get mad, sometimes people don't like to be around you, but sometimes it will begin to minister life to people that are barely hanging on. Sometimes it'll minister people, it'll rescue people from situations and circumstances that they don't know how to get out of, you don't know how to get out of, but as you believe on the Lord and the Holy Spirit flows through you, that river of living water will begin to flow through you, and you'll begin to be able to speak into people's lives, whether knowingly or unknowingly, you know, intelligibly or unintelligibly, you'll begin to be able to speak into people's lives that are in darkness. Why do we need the river of the living water to flow? Because the world is dying. The world doesn't know God. The world is lost and undone and in sin and hard-hearted. We've seen abortions rise in our nation. We've seen homosexuality rise in the nation. Pornography on the rise in the nation. Divorce on the rise in the nation. Violence on the rise in the nation. Witchcraft and idolatry on the rise in the nation. But you know what? The Holy Ghost is going to come through and clean all that out. I believe that if the church will begin to operate in the gift of the Holy Spirit again, you're going to see a move like never before seen. The promise of the Father is that the latter rain would come on the church before he brings it home. And I believe we're going to see a small cloud begin to get into a big cloud. And whether it's you or me or someone else, God is going to pour out the Holy Spirit on willing hearts and vessels. And God's going to do a work in this generation. This generation, we're going to see God move. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen if you believe. If you believe. This generation, they don't need new church buildings. They don't need new conferences. We don't need to redo the will. We need to let the will of God run over us. And then breathe new life into us. And then have the Spirit be poured out upon us. So that the rain will begin to minister. Listen, listen, you, you remember what it was like when you were in sin? You remember what it was like when you were in bondage? This world is in double that. 
This world is in a dark place. And only the river of life, only the Holy Ghost will clean it out. And he'll do it. Amen? Comfortable Christianity is a work of the flesh, and it's keeping the church complacent. Comfortable Christianity will never bring the power of God to a hurting world. Comfortable Christianity will never bring the power of God to a hurting world. But listen, comfortable Christianity will never bring the power of God in your life. Comfortable Christianity. If, if, if it's keeping you comfortable, it may not be God. If it's keeping you comfortable, it may not be God. The comfortable, the comforter will come. Do you think it was comfortable getting thrown into the den of lions? How comfortable do you think Daniel was? But when God showed up, he was okay. Right? You may have to go through things that are not comfortable. But the comforter, the comforter will take you through them. Comfortable Christianity will never produce the power of God. Please don't lean on it. Comfortable Christianity. Crucified. The crucified life. Faith in what Jesus did at the cross. This and only this will produce life. Father, we believe.